Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Six hundred is the nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, May nineteenth, two thousand twenty-two. Today is nothing personal's six hundredth episode. We have almost seven hundred in the feed with sit downs and mailbags, but actual—not actual—they're all actual. But the way we do it with a rundown and a pick and a wait to see and a so you want to talk to Samson. Six hundred. Remember a hundred episodes when Coca did the sit down. I know you guys do. You enjoyed that episode. So did I. And now, just like that, it's 100 more episodes. And we're going to keep going because you rate us, you review us so well. You, you tell your friends about nothing personal. You give us new records every single month. It's unbelievable. The people at CBS are like, well, how's that happening? We must be doing so much to make this happen. It's actually Coca, and it's you all. So I wanted to say a quick thank you on behalf of Coca, who you heard at 500, you hear him again at 1,000. But I wanted you to know that uh, most importantly, and you see this on Twitter when I DM some of you, make sure you know we do not take your time for granted. You give us 45 minutes, we spend a lot of time preparing to look unprepared. We spend a lot of time thinking about the best way to give you the best topics for the best show, to give you the best insight into things that you just don't get anywhere else, in a voice that you just don't hear anywhere else, with information that you're not going to get because of what we've been through before we started Nothing Personal. So we're going to keep going, whatever iteration, however it looks, but thank you for 600 that's the word of the day, and I'm so happy that I get to celebrate with Nick Saban. It seems like a dream to me that I could put together with Coca the show for 600, and I get to listen to video of Nick Saban answering questions and complaining and talking about NIL and money. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen closely. Do you know there are new rules in college sports? You can get some rich boosters who instead of giving money under the table, they're giving it over the table in the form of sponsorships with companies that clearly don't have the money to deliver these types of sponsorships, but are being funded in order to give the sponsorships to the players so those players will go to the schools. It's exactly what the Supreme Court said because it's exactly what y'all wanted. Well, guess what? You've got it. College sports is now a professional league. They're not unionized. They don't need to be. College athletes are now free agents. I don't mean the water polo players or the water skiers 
or the snowboarders or the snow skiers. I mean, I'm not even sure about the fencers. I am sure about the basketball players and the football players. I wonder what the long-term impact is of all the money going to the players instead of into the program so that the program can feed all the other programs that don't make any money and use the profits off the big programs. I wonder if the people who are giving money to the players are still going to give money to the programs. So additional money so the players can get paid, but the programs can still have the budget they need to have all the other classes and athletes and sports. But in the meantime, no one can be surprised. We told you on nothing personally. You were just creating free agency in college sports, and that's what you have. But then you've got Nick Saban, who already once or twice has complained about the new system, and he's complained about it in a way that makes me smile. Do you know when people are first taking steroids in baseball, and they're the first ones, and then all of a sudden they're getting paid because they're hitting 60 home runs, and everyone else is hitting 30, and then all of a sudden you got some schnook with the Orioles, hitting 50, getting paid, and the players are saying, whoa, I guess that now everybody's going to do it. But if everybody's going to do it, then the advantage that I had by doing it is going to become less of an advantage? You mean the playing field's going to be level? And I'm going to have to survive on my own skill and ability and talent? Come on, man, don't do that. I'm so sorry, Nick. Yes, Texas A&M had a better recruiting class than you did. Sorry. Yes, Texas A&M paid its players. Sorry. Yes, Deion Sanders paid his players. Yes. So what are you complaining about? Let me read you a quote. Nick Saban said in his own inimitable way, that 25 players on Alabama last season earned NIL revenue, totaling $3 million. But they did it, quote, the right way. He said, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. That's Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. Hey, is Jimbo Fisher Coca the old Michigan guy? Doesn't matter, does it? We were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team. Made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player, Nick said. Insert by David. That's, that's in my document. Horse hockey! Close parentheses. But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future. Because more and more people are doing it. Are you listening? Take a breath. Don't crash your car. Don't laugh and then all of a sudden you don't put on your left turn signal and all of a sudden you're in the other lane if you don't have one of those cars that shakes when you're going in the other lane, which drives me insane because if you're switching lanes or you may switch lanes, you're looking to see if you can pass a car on a two-lane road and you get the... So just keep calm. Think about what Nick Saban just said. He is so angry that he was the only one taking steroids and now everybody is. It makes me laugh. So what can be done about this? Nick Saban could just quit the way older people quit when they say the world has totally changed and my players don't hear me anymore. They don't listen to me. I don't speak their language. I can't communicate with them. It's time for me to pass the torch. He could go that direction. Or he could say, 
My name is Nick Saban, and the way I've been doing it has led to championships and success, and I'm not going to change. I'm going to be as stubborn as a mule. You've come across people like that, right? Don't tell me not to use my flip phone. What? What are you telling me that there's a phone that has a screen where you can be on the InterGoogle and look at pictures, ooh, and get emails just on your screen? No. I'm sticking with the flip phone. And by the way, I'm not getting rid of my liquid paper or the ribbon I have to put in where I have to hit the A to get rid of the A to get the E in, and then the E is always like the movie The Jagged Edge with the typewriter. Hey, that's the typewriter that did it with Robert Loggia. Those are a little too random references, aren't they, Coca? People get through it. You can Google it. The Jagged Edge was, it happened to be a great movie, and it's sort of a scary, suspenseful, interesting movie. If I'm not mistaken... The person in the jagged edge who gets in trouble and gets charged with a crime, I believe, is Liam Neeson before Liam Neeson was famous for kidnapping his kids or unkidnapping his kids. I, I think. Coca, can you just do a quick check while we're here? I mean, while we're here. Just make sure that I'm right because I want people to go see Jagged Edge as an extra review, even though we're reviewing two movies later because of the story I'm going to tell you. Anyway, Jagged Edge in it has a typewriter. But you know those guys who just keep using typewriters even though there's a computer? That's Nick Saban. He's a dinosaur. The NCAA has fully embraced the new NIL. The NCAA is scared of what it's created but knows it can't go back because once you take the tube out of the toothpaste, have you ever tried to put toothpaste back in a tube once it gets out? Like when you do that, like you squirt too much and all of a sudden it's just overwhelming, what do you do? It goes in the sink. You can't put it back in the tube. You can't be like, oh, I'll just hold it for tomorrow. NIL and paying college players is out of the tube, and it's not going back. Now, the NCAA is coming up, and they're saying, well, we're now going to enforce to make sure that this is not recruiting, that all of the boosters are doing exactly what they should be doing, and they're not going up to players and saying, we're going to give you this if you go there and that, and if you go here. What? Of course that's what's happening. It's happening over the table the way it was happening under the table. You think John Ruiz in Miami? We talked about this. You think he doesn't have a say in which players are going? Oh, yeah. It's the coaches like Nick Saban who say, hey, John, could you go give that guy some scratch? Want to line his pockets with a car? A little deal, maybe a mattress? Something good? Deion Sanders is going to respond, and Deion Sanders tweeted that he's going to respond that his player didn't go to his school because of a million dollars that his player switched. Because remember, that number one prospect in high school was going to sign with the team and then all of a sudden signed with Deion Sanders' team. I think it's Jackson State. And uh, was rumored to have gotten a million dollars. And Nick Saban called him out. And Deion Sanders immediately responded and said, he's going and he used the race card, basically, in his tweet, talking about, this is Deion Sanders, saying... I mean, I don't mean that he's using a race card in a negative way. He's just saying it's a historically black college university, and that's the reason why this player who's black is going to this school. So trying to make it about race. When it's okay, Dion, it could be about race. It could be about him wanting to be with you as a coach. It could be about him wanting to be at Jackson State. But it also could be about the fact that he is getting paid that amount of money, and that's okay too. You're playing within the new set of rules. Don't fight Nick Saban. Don't create a race war over this. Just call Nick Saban the old man that he is and then move on. 
Jimbo Fisher wants to respond, and he responded with some meaningless quotes as well. That's the thing about Nick Saban. He's like the sort of, is he like the Phil Jackson of, of NBA coaches or the tease? You know what? I got it. This is not rehearsed, Coca. Nick Saban is the Tony LaRussa of baseball managers. Someone who's been around for so long, who pretends that they're so ready for what's coming in the analytics and all the new contraptions, and I can get down and talk to players who are 20, who are the age of my grandchildren, and they can understand me, and we've got this kumbaya relationship going. Meanwhile, the players look at him like it's the grandpa from Little Miss Sunshine. They roll their eyes, and they say, get in the damn car. That's it, Coco. That's it. All right, play some music. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That's when you get into Twitter. David P. Samson asked me a question. This is a good one. This does not come from Scott Riley or Matthew Coca. May come from Amanda. I don't know. Hey, David. As a Mets fan, I'm worried about Max. And curious as to why whenever a player has an injury, we always hear that an MRI will happen the following day. Is there no MRI machine in the clubhouse or training room? Thank you for asking. Met fans have to be despondent. Yesterday, Max Scherzer, he's in the sixth inning of a game that they eventually won against the um, the St. Louis Blues. The St. Louis Blues. The St. Louis Cardinals. Hello. It's Thursday. Wake up. All right, I'm on it. He felt a thing, a little tightness, a little spasm in his side. He motioned to the dugout. That is the worst nightmare when you're watching a game as a team executive. Way worse because we're noticing it and we see that there's something wrong because we're conditioned when we're watching a game. We're watching the pitcher's delivery. We're making sure the pitcher's repeating his delivery. We're watching to see how the pitcher lands while we're watching to see where the ball goes, while we're watching to see whether or not it's hit, while we're watching to see where the players are moving on defense, where they're supposed to be, where they're supposed to be, and doing what they're supposed to be because every player is supposed to be moving on every single pitch a certain direction because they know what's coming and they know where the ball is likely to be hit, etc. Fine. So you watch a pitcher who all of a sudden has that sort of, uh, it's not like what we saw with Jake Odorizzi when he got carted off when his leg exploded or a Dave Dravecki who got carted off when his arm fell out. It's sort of when, when there's a wince, there's several things that we think as, as a front office, right? The wince is it could be a cramp, right? Which is nothing, could be dehydration. It could be some sort of pull and then you have to figure out where the pull is. Is it a pull in the leg? Is it the knee? Is it the groin? And where you don't want the pull is in the oblique, sort of the intercostal area. And then you're also looking to see if he holds his arm or his shoulder or he shakes out because human beings do that when something hurts, right? They're just human beings. They sort of shake it out or try to make it like you see basketball players when they get a stinger, they'll open and close their hands or pitchers will just shake their arm just to see how that goes or they'll do a little stretch which I can't do. Do I need a bigger blazer? I don't think I do. I just can't. Oh, there we go. All right, I can do it. I just didn't want my earpiece to fall out, Coco. So Scherzer winces. Out comes the trainer. Out comes Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach. Out comes Buck Showalter, the manager. And in goes Max Scherzer into the clubhouse. He's hurt. After that, he meets the media. The team releases their media relations people to tell what's going on. And all they say is, which is what 
you're supposed to say, is we hope everything's okay, but we'll know more after an MRI. So why MRI? First, there are no MRI machines inside clubhouses. Have you, if you haven't been inside an MRI machine, they're quite large and require a control room, if you will, because it's magnetic resonance imaging. It's like you don't want to be in there when it's happening because then you're being exposed to things that you don't want to be exposed to. So you've got people in the back room who are hitting buttons and taking pictures. It's like a machine that takes a million pictures. One of those iPhone 29s where you press it once and it does the blart where you just get 50 photos with one press of a button. So sort of that's what an MRI is. But the way teams work is they have deals with hospitals. Those hospitals are sponsors of the team. So if you go to any ballpark, you will see a sign somewhere for a hospital system or a set of doctors. And the deal is they pay us, we use them, but we get access immediately. First thing in the morning, we always tell the player, can you be there by 8 o'clock? The player will say, no, can we do it at 9? We'll say, we'd like to just get this out of the way. Some players will say 11. Either way, whenever we want a player in an MRI machine, we don't have to make an appointment. We make the call to the team doctor, and it's done. The player gets in the MRI machine. The player gets out 20 minutes later, 40 minutes later, 60 minutes later. And two minutes after that, the MRI is read. And two minutes after that, information is given to the general manager who gives it to the trainer and then gives it to the president, gives it to the owner, and then we decide when we're going to give it to the media. The reason I mention that is that so many times teams say we don't have the results yet, we're waiting, and you've heard me tell you on Nothing Personal that that is absolute, that they're lying to you. We always knew the results of the MRI immediately. And what they're looking for with Max is they're trying to figure out whether or not it's just a little strain, whether or not he actually could have torn something like an oblique. Max Scherzer said he doesn't think it's a major strain. But he also admitted that he doesn't know what this pain is. He's never had it before. So Max Scherzer did a very veteran thing. And we tell our pitchers this during spring training when we meet them for the first time. Don't be a hero. Because if you're hurting and not telling us, it's going to be impacted, right? The way you throw is going to be impacted. Your velocity is going to be down. And worse than that, you're going to hurt a different part of your body. Therefore, when you feel something, say something. Players who are trying to make a team don't listen to that, and they end up screwing their careers. On the other hand, veteran players who are under guaranteed contracts, who've made enough money that they're good to go no matter what, they are more apt to understand and be more mature. This isn't, I'm not being an ageist. There are just more older players who are willing to understand their bodies, know their bodies. I guess that's true of all people. As you get older, you know your bodies, you know what you like, you know what you don't like, you know what hurts, you know the difference between being injured and being hurt, you know what you can train through, what you can't train through. I go that with my I go through that with my running. As I'm getting older, I've got more aches and pains and squeaks and different things that are harder to get going, but I can tell the difference between that and when I've got chin splints and I've got to ease up for for a week or two. So Scherzer luckily knew to put himself out of the game where it, he acknowledged that other pitchers, Buck Showalter acknowledged other pitchers may have kept pitching just to say, oh, I probably, that was just one pitch. And then the next pitch could be a complete blowout. So did Scherzer get out of the game fast enough? We got to wait to see. So ready? Wait to see. Here it is, Coca. Book it. It's official. Max Scherzer under no circumstances, will be making his next start. 
Max Scherzer will be put on the injured list. And the reason I know that is that I have no inside information. I can just tell you from the experience we had with our pitchers. When Max Scherzer has been dealing with a dead arm the way he did last year, Max Scherzer, who had the stressful offseason as he was negotiating the collective bargaining agreement, the New York Mets being in first place, even without DeGrom, who still won't be back. And by the way, Coca, we had three people get into my DMs, three separate people who said we do have a wait to see about DeGrom's 2022 season that existed before yesterday. And I admit to you, I didn't check it because I was doing other stuff yesterday, but I will check it and we will get back to you on Monday, whether or not that's the case. But they've got DeGrom, who's not coming back till July. They're still in first place. They're going to be pitching in October is what their thought process is. This is an opportunity to get Max Scherzer a blow. And when you can get a pitcher, a veteran pitcher a blow, who doesn't need to then go down to the minor leagues and do a bunch of rehab starts, when you're just giving his arm a minute, the best way to do it so you're not tempted to use him, even if you lose a few games in a row, or even if you've got a bulldog like Max Scherzer who wants the ball every day, the best way to do it is to put him on the IL. So a wait to see here, Coca. Max Scherzer will be put on the injured list by the New York Metropolitans. Okay, I got to tell you what went on last night. When we come back, I was going to review, I told you last yesterday's show, I was going to review Taking Chance. I'm going to review that Monday now, but last night was a double feature of a different kind, and I'm going to explain why when we come back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. On show 600, by the way, and I truly do appreciate you, as I told you, I still watch a movie every single day. So some of you have picked up on it. If you're watching on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel, I am not in New York or Florida. I'm actually in Denver, Colorado. And I'm here because I'm supposed to be climbing mountains in order to train for something that is happening this summer that I've not yet discussed. But I guess I'm going to mention it now, just on episode 600, just so you can hear about it. What I'm trying to do is climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania and then run a marathon from the summit. Not many people have ever done this. I'm going in a group of 21 people from around the world where you take five or six days to climb Mount Kilimanjaro while trying to become acclimatized. And then when you summit, which means you start at midnight, the last day, it's a five-day hike to get up there. You hike seven hours, you get to the summit, then you take off your clothes, 
put on different clothes and then run a marathon. At 19,000 feet, it starts, and you make your way down Kilimanjaro, and it's, it's insanity. So I'm in Denver trying to practice by climbing mountains and running around and looking like an idiot and going to REI flagship store here and buying out the entire store because if you can't do it, you might as well look good while you can't do it. Trying to figure out how many layers I need. Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Meanwhile, it's 85 in Denver, and I'm supposed to do a huge hike tomorrow. And guess what? There's a 21-inch snowstorm coming to Denver. So I said to myself, all right, I'm going to watch a double feature because I'm not going to sleep. I'm all nervous. I'm getting ready. I'm getting my poles and my gear, my hydration, my fuel. I've got shoes and socks and skivvies. Everything's good. Chapstick, which I haven't been using, which I should be using, yada, yada, yada. I watched Infinite Storm with Naomi Watts, and I doubled it up by watching Vertical Limit with Chris O'Donnell and Scott Glenn. Because I was trying to think to myself, am I really going to start a training climb that's going to be about a 12-hour climb? Am I doing that where there's a risk of becoming frozen on the hill and dying? Like, is that my plan? Or am I just going to be cocky like the guy in Infinite Storm where he goes out by himself with nothing, even though I'll have water in a backpack, but that's it. I'm not going to have a sleeping bag or anything. I'm not alone. This guy went alone in Infinite Storm, and then Naomi watched this strong, amazing woman who was in another movie about the uh, uh, the impossible, about what happened in Thailand with that tsunami. God, Naomi Watts is like sort of this action figure actress now who tends to... Um, save people or need to be saved or part of natural disasters so the guy climbs the mountain in infinite storm he's doing a hike and then snow comes in and he's frozen he's stuck so what they do is (laughs) she saves him is that a spoiler why do i ask you to see infinite storm it's just cool Right? It's cool to see anybody do what Naomi Watts did. It's cool to see people whose life choices, why they make the choices they make, how they do what they do. They're not living in New York City. They're not in the concrete jungle. And there's just, there's something about the community. And I'm finding that in Denver. It's very interesting when you go into that REI store. It's just people who love the outdoors. The guy who took care of me when I was telling him I needed a bunch of clothes for Kilimanjaro, he said, really? You know, I did that with 20 L's and I didn't bring one pair of underwear. Said, okay, sign me up. And then Vertical Limit was the movie I watched to make sure that I would be smart enough not to actually do the hike tomorrow if the 21-inch storm comes. That's the one with Bill Paxton. May he rest in peace, the guy from Titanic, Bill Paxton, the one who tried to find Titanic. You, you've seen him, right? In Indian Summer, he was in that movie. He's been in a bunch of great movies. And uh, Chris O'Donnell and they're trying to save each other and themselves and they're buried and there's avalanches and they're trying to not have explosions. People are frozen and dead. So here's the bottom line. The bottom line is both movies are worth watching, but don't let it convince you not to do these cool outdoor things because if you're smart and careful, then you're probably not going to end up like frozen pizza. If you're not smart, you're going to need to be rescued, watch Infinite Storm, or if you're even stupider, you're going to need to be dead like Vertical Limit. So I did. What will I do tomorrow? I'm giving you all a mailbag episode because I hope to be climbing. And if not, then I'm going to be reclining in Colorado, having visited more than just the REI flagship store. We will review Taking Chance Monday, Coca. I promise you. Okay. 
Let's talk about what happened with uh, in Miami yesterday, just to briefly touch on it, because I do want to get to soccer, and I do want to get to to what happened. Two parts of soccer. This is this a two a two soccer story? Well, one's football, one's soccer. Well, yeah, one's football, one's soccer. Messi, ever heard of him? The most famous player. He's like my size. Plays for Paris Saint Germain. Yes, he's getting older. Did you read that he's coming to Miami? Inter Miami and David Beckham have made a deal to give him 35% of the team, a value of about $200 million, given the value of the team right now, which was given to Beckham at a value of $25 million. So once he's done with this two-year $41 million deal with PSG, he's going to do what Beckham did and what other players do, make all your money when you're good, then come over to the United States of America, bring your family, get paid, when he can't play much anymore. But did it matter for Miami? One of the great and least kept secrets, one of the greatest marketing moves ever for Inter Miami as they open their new ballpark, whenever that will be, that got approved whenever it got approved. Is that a business deal that David Beckham wanted to do? Here's a little nugget for y'all. The business plan that the Moss brothers, Jorge Moss, who owns Inter Miami, and David Beckham, when they put that business plan together and bought out the shares of Marcelo Clore, who actually was one of the original investors with Beckham to get an expansion team somewhere, hopefully Miami, way back when. The business plan always called for bringing in a quote-unquote messy type. It was always supposed to be messy, but things can get messy, and you may have to go with a different player like a Ronaldo or something, but their plan was to bring in an anchor tenant. They believe that David Beckham is not that because he is far more on the business side, running the football operations, figuring out what's happening on the pitch and designing the kits and all the different things he's doing, like going to Formula One races and shaking hands and being seen at different ceremonies in LA and Miami and all that kind of stuff. So he's not doing anything for the on-field product and Inter-Miami needs someone on-field. And they need a draw because Beckham, they knew in advance when they were putting this business plan together that Beckham was not actually going to be the draw. He wasn't going to be in the community enough. He wasn't going to be the face of the franchise enough. He was going to be this sort of ivory tower guy, which is exactly what he's become. So they need a face of the franchise. Messi would be the perfect face, even if he can't perform. Because right now, you've got a team that doesn't perform, but they have no anchor tenant. They have no star player. Messi will be that for Inter-Miami. It will put Inter-Miami on the map when they get Messi. The problem is, if he's so past his prime that he can't win, then all of a sudden, you've got yourself the Los Angeles Galaxy. You remember? You can Google it. The Los Angeles Galaxy did the same thing with a guy named... David Beckham. What have we learned? Nothing. Of course, Lionel Messi's agent, who's also his father, which I never suggest. You do not want your father as your agent. Trust me, bad plan. But his father came out and said, not true. Not happening. I don't know where this came from. Well, here's a little nugget for you. We're doing a double wait to see, Coca. Is that okay? We have the first one, which is Max Scherzer going on the injured list. The second wait to see, which is when we say something's going to happen, and if it does, we revisit it. If it doesn't, we revisit it. 
Have you watched all the pre- and post-game shows during all these playoffs? Have you seen more hot takes just for the purpose of having hot takes? Makes me laugh. This is no hot take. Messi's coming to Miami. Biggest news of the day yesterday in soccer, though, was not Messi in Miami. It is the historic deal that was cut between the collective bargaining, the collective bargaining agreement between the U.S. Federation, the U.S. Soccer Federation, and the men's and women's national teams. There has been talk of this for quite a while. There's been a bunch of lawsuits. We've covered a bunch of them about equal pay. We've covered all the things that that the women feel they are not getting. They're not getting equal pay during matches. They're not getting equal cuts of the revenue. And during this time of gender equality, their view was this is a good opportunity to attempt to get what we've never had before. And I gave you the business argument that the men generate more money, and that's why the men get money. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it factual. The reason why MLS has a salary of $17 million for its Miami team, but you go over to, you know, pick any team, right? Pick Liverpool. Their payroll is higher. Their revenue is higher. There is no question that men generate more revenue from a sponsorship standpoint, from a ticket sales standpoint, from an average ticket price standpoint. There's more money and more revenue generated in men's World Cup than there is in women's World Cup. Broadcast, ticket, everything. Maybe not food and beverage because they both sell out and they may charge the same prices. But pretty much, just assume it's everything. So there's always been a business reason, which doesn't make it right, it just makes it so. Well now, in a historic agreement, there's been a decision made that no matter how unequal the revenues are, there is a new CBA that will create equal pay for men and women in soccer. This is major, right? So now, when women go to the World Cup and win, they're gonna make as much money as the men who go to the World Cup and lose in the first round. That's pretty significant because in the past, women would win the World Cup and they'd make way less than the men who would sometimes not even qualify, not even make it out of the first round. So that's the first thing they're going to do. The second thing they're going to do is even bigger than the first thing. Have you heard of the organization FIFA? It's like a little fiefdom. We've talked about that. Do you know that there are payments made from FIFA to the United States Soccer Federations as part of this new agreement? Those payments are unequal, and that's not changing. However, when the money comes into the U.S. uneven and unequally, that money will then be distributed to men and women soccer players equally. That's pretty epic. The fact that the men agreed to this is incredible, and I'm not saying they should have or shouldn't have. I'm just saying that what happened here is like in baseball, in a collective bargain agreement, when veteran players would say to themselves, yes, I make $10 million a year, but I'm going to make sure I only can make $5 million a year, and we're going to take the other $5 million, and we're going to give it to the young players. There are players in baseball who did that. It's not the rich ones, though. It's the middle class players, right? In baseball, when the minimum salaries go up or there's a pre-arbitration pool, that money's going to come from, from somewhere, Owners aren't just going to all of a sudden increase payroll. It's like when the cost of gas goes up. Do you find that your air ticket prices, are your airline prices going up? Does it cost more now to fill your car? Does it? Do you get fuel surcharges when you're getting deliveries? 
people pass along costs because they do not want to cut into their profit and they are going to take it from the consumer and they're going to keep taking it from the consumer until someone says something and the only one you the only way you can say it is by not consuming so the men in soccer who are willing to do this there is no path that i can see in this new agreement that will bring them to the place they were that will give them the piece of the pie that they have been eating this entire time it's not like the pie is going to get bigger except that's what they were sold during the course of this agreement men were told listen this is really good this is going to help with sponsors everyone's going to want to do business with us because we are gender equal so you're a company like visa and you give 10 million dollars a year and 8 million of that goes to the men 2 million of that goes to the women that's 10 million now instead of the men getting eight they're going to get five and the women instead of getting two they're going to get five but then what the men were told is don't worry we're going to visa and they're going to give us 12 and not 10. so you're going to get half of 12 which is six which is a million more than you would have gotten by splitting with the women and then the men say but wait a minute we were getting 10 and they were getting two do you see how the math can be spun to make it seem to people hey this is going to be great we're all going to make more money so we're going to get a smaller piece of a bigger pie executives do that all the time it's a, it's a little secret we always when we're lowering your commission structure or when we're lowering ticket prices we'll say hey we're doing this because we're going to sell more tickets and we're going to get more revenue and we'll have more money and commissions to give you it's such a bunch of crap oy vey i'm sort of fascinated by it all i really am there's a revenue sharing component to this that is also going to be interesting for the men and the women so the details of the deal are not as important i guess because it's not that i'm saying that I'm against the deal because I'm not. What I'm saying is that it is historic, but I don't want you to be fooled. The men gave here. This is a victory for women's soccer. It may be an overdue victory. It may be not even a big enough victory, but make no mistake, this is a clear victory for women's soccer and for what they did, the lawsuits that they filed all the way. I mean, those lawsuits went all the way, May. And the reason they did is that they wanted equality. I'm in for gender equality. But I'm also in for performance-based incentives. I'm also in for people getting paid for what they generate. We're going to see how this plays out. But one thing that you should be concerned about is that if this doesn't work, there will be tremendous problems when this CBA expires in 2028. So we've got six years of peace but it's sort of like the baseball agreement from 2016 where the minute it was signed, the players were angry and that led to all the issues that happened in 2022 when they were negotiating the new agreement. You're not going to get, because we're talking gender equality here, you're not going to get the men to come out and say, this is terrible, we're not excited, we're not happy. It's going to be a lot of wait to seize. If this works in the way I think it will work, in that there will not be extra money generated and that the men will not feel as though that they've gotten enough for what they've given up. I believe in 2028, you are going to have a tremendous fight on your hands. We'll see what happens. I didn't think the Warriors were going to put up a fight and they didn't. We're 62 and 48. We're back to being, are we hot or not? I cannot keep track. I guess 14 over is not terrible after 110 picks, 62 and 48. 
And I wanted to say that the Mavs, who did I say? I didn't say the Mavs. The Mavs would put up a fight. I said Warriors, sorry. I meant the Mavs. Remember, I chose the Warriors over the Mavs as my pick of the day because I told you what the Mavericks did to the Suns in Game 7 when they hit every shot and scored 197 points, that they were going to have another letdown just the way the Celtics did after beating the Bucks in Game 7. Do you, does anyone remember that? Well, if you watched the game last night, you saw the Warriors cover. We're 62-48. and 48. Warriors minus 5 over Mavs. That was an easy one. All right, tonight's game. It's game two of the Heat Celtics. The Celtics came to Miami. When you're the road team in a seven-game series, you are worried about one thing. Get the split. If you can get the split winning one of the first two games, it doesn't matter if you lost the first game by 100. It doesn't matter if you had injuries. It doesn't matter if the other team played poorly in one, played great in one, won on a last-second shot, a bad foul. None of it matters. The Boston Celtics go into tonight's game knowing that all they have to do is win tonight and they are on their way toward the NBA Finals. The Celtics are still not favored. Ironically, the Heat were were favored in game one but not favored to win the series. Then the Heat won game one as they were supposed to win according to the betting line. I don't know if they're now favored to win the series, but I now know that without Al Horford, Marcus Smart may be back. They were very much missed on the perimeter, maybe. Inside, maybe. Celtics plus four now? On a game that there's more pressure on the Heat to win than the Celtics? We're taking Celtics plus four. I still love the Heat. The Heat could still win in five, but that line is just way too big. And my guess is the Heat have now moved to series favorites because now they have to be beaten four out of the next six games. Oh, they're minus 150, Coca. Thank you. Good whisper. You're on it. So Heat are favored. I would... uh I got to tell you, this series is far from over. The Heat looked really good. Jimmy Buckets played out of his mind. He's obviously a primetime player. Really, really, really good. But they're going to need four of those types of games, and those are hard to do. They just don't have enough depth while the Celtics do. So it'll be interesting to see what happens today. But we're going to do the Celtics plus four. Okay. Ooh, did you see what happened in Minnesota? You know... I know there are executives who are listening, and I know that you don't want to believe it's true. But when I tell you that don't trade with the Tampa Bay Rays, don't trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. When I suggest to you that A.J. Preller of the San Diego Padres has multiple sets of medical books and is not forthcoming with the way he negotiates with you, and to trade for a pitcher from the Padres would probably not be your best plan, you may want to listen. A former player of ours, who we traded actually to the Padres, who we got crushed for trading Chris Paddock to the Padres for Fernando Rodney, who, by the way, hadn't given up, and I'm going to keep saying it till the day I die, he hadn't given up a run. He was an all-star when we traded for him. Of course, he regressed to the mean so quickly. He was so bad at the end of 2016 that I can't even possibly tell you. And we traded Chris Paddock, and that's a trade. People say, would you do that trade again, giving up the great Chris Paddock to get Fernando Rodney, who sucked for you? Yes. When you've got Stelich, Stelich, Stanton, Yelich, Ozuna, you've got Jose Fernandez in your rotation. You've got a chance to make the playoffs for the first time in your new ballpark. Yes, you are trading for the best closer that particular season, hoping he can continue and bring you through October. 
So Chris Pack goes to the Padres, starts off great. Everyone's criticizing Samson. You don't know squat about nothing. You're the worst executive of all time. How could you trade Chris Paddock? No wonder the Marlins are in such trouble and they stink so badly all these years later. It's because of you. And I said that when we traded Chris Paddock, we were told that he's a four or five starter, maybe even a swing guy, maybe a long, long guy in the bullpen. We weren't told by our people that we were trading an ace. We wouldn't have traded an ace for Rodney, but a four or five starter who's performed well in the minor leagues so we can trick another team into thinking that he's going to be a better player than he's going to be. Hell yeah, that's a trade I'm going to make. So Chris Paddock goes to the Padres. Then they trade him to the Minnesota Twinkies. The Minnesota Twins get Chris Paddock, and they're thinking, wow, everyone's saying it's got to be the White Sox. It's just the White Sox. Rocco Baldelli had an underperforming team last year, very disappointing. And they say to themselves, we're going to totally make our rotation way, way better than it was. We're going to bring in guys. We're going to get depth. We're going to take some money off the books, add some money back on. We're going to make a really interesting trade with the Yankees and see if we can reclaim Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. They bring in Chris Paddock. He starts for them five times. And news came out yesterday. That's it. Tommy John. It's a nightmare, right? They traded Taylor Rogers to the Padres to get the starter Chris Paddock. I'm not going to say Chris Paddock was hurt when he got there because I'm not going to call him Colin Ray. I'm not going to say that A.J. Preller totally misled the Minnesota Twins. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ask you to look at the history of trades with the Padres. Look at what they've admitted to. Look at to what they've played guilty to within baseball. Look at the punishments and fines that they have paid. And then say to yourself, hmm, I wonder whether they knew something. Chris Paddock started five times for the Twins. Five times. He's done. Until 2024. We're only in 22. The rest of this year and all of next year. The timing of people, of pitchers getting hurt now was always the worst nightmare, literally. Because the general rule is for a starter, a bullpen guy you can say nine to 10 months if you're lucky, but a starter is going to be 12 months for sure. 12 months once you're in the season, 12 months from now is May. That means he's missed all of spring training. He's going to have to completely start spring training, build up, and it's just not worth it. Maybe he'll come back for a starter two at the end of 2024, I know that Syndergaard did that. Jose did that, actually. So it's possible he'll be around sometime in 24, all-star break, August of 24. But what a complete nightmare for the Twins. Now, the schadenfraude that goes on when pitchers get hurt on other teams, which I've told you on nothing personal, is something that I'm not necessarily proud of, but it's something that everybody feels. When you look at the White Sox and their injuries, and you look at the fact that they were supposed to win this division in a walk-off, and then you say, all right, all right, now one of their guys is hurt. Good. But of course, you don't say that publicly. The reason why you say it privately, and we'd, we'd be on each other's phones immediately when a player would get hurt in the National League East, and it's a pretty simple equation, right? You're responsible for your team. You care about your team. You pretend you care about other teams and about other players and the sport and everything else. Sometimes presidents have to take a macro view when they're in owners' meetings or on committees. But at the end, you're worried about your team only. Hard stop. Why? Because it's just business. Enjoy the mailbag episode tomorrow. We'll be back Monday. I'm not going full vertical limit. You're stuck with me Monday. This is nothing personal.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com